Thank you for listening to this message from Forward Ministries. We pray it blesses you, encourages you, and inspires grace in you today. You can visit us online at forwardministries.org. So our approach to God is not to get things, even if it's healing, even if it's provision, even if it's those intangible things that we want to see God manifest in our lives. Those still aren't things that we're lacking that we need God to give us. Those are things that are in us. And if we understand kingdom, we understand they're in us in seed form to grow into this dimension. You see, the way that you consistently experience God's provision is not that you pray and then He sends you an answer. It's that you walk with Him internally knowing that you're His child and your Father is a provider and you experience His provision. You don't really even know how that happens. It's more of a mindset. It's a heart position. It's an understanding of what and who you are. And you live that way because that's who He is. You understand the character of God and you pray out of that rather than the condition of this world. See, because when you look at this world and you judge that there's lack and then you ask God to give you something, you're sending a message to your heart that says, I don't have that thing, that thing. So what do I need to do to get it? And that's the flesh. The flesh is when you get in your own strength, your own mindset, your own logic, your own carnal way of thinking of cause and effect rather than seed time and harvest. And then we, stop, we, we miss out on so much. Honestly, that's where we live. We live in a realm of seed time and harvest rather than cause and effect. If you think, you know what I mean by that? But by cause and effect, it's like this has to happen so that this can happen so that this can happen and this, everything's got to, is reactionary rather than realizing, no, it's already provided. It's manifesting. It's growing. Be patient. Trust God. Don't worry. Don't worry about money and have faith toward Him and watch it grow. So <clears throat> I want to talk about, flip over to Matthew 6. Because, you know, I'm not really wanting to do a series on prayer to teach you how to pray as much as I want to teach you what and who you are so that it affects your prayer life. Does that make sense to you? Yeah. See, I want you to understand it in light of family and inheritance. My dad passed away last June. I've got a brother and a sister and everything is divided up equally. And I'm going through, the, my wife and I, or Sarah and I are going through the process now of um, <coughs> creating a will. You know, the first draft and we're looking at it and looking at all the details. And, and, you know, has anybody here drafted a will? It's very intentional, isn't it? Mm -hmm. I mean, there are questions that that attorney will ask you if you do it that way that you don't even think about. I mean, it's like you've got to make a decision about everything. You, uh, ages, what's going to happen with this and that, and define everything. I mean, going through the process of creating a document to leave an inheritance is very intentional. You don't, it doesn't just happen. And it's not, you know, stuff that you get in an inheritance, it's not like, well, I wonder if he really wanted me to have that. You know, I'm driving my dad's car, and it's a nice car. It's like I start driving that thing, I'm like, ooh, this is nicer than what I would bought, you know, and so I was, was weird about that, you know, it's like, I don't know, I don't know. And, and then I went through the process of, you know, this inheritance thing, it's like, no, he put it in there. It was intentional, it was a gift 
I'm the guy's child. I am my father's son. And he took the time to go through and draft everything to intentionally leave stuff. Well, it says that we are joint heirs with Jesus. God, before he ever even created this, decided what he would leave you. See, when we talk about the will of God, we, we, talk, we think about that in terms of what am I supposed to do for him rather than what is it that he's left me. God's will is what he's given you. God's will is Jesus. God's will is Jesus prayed on earth as it is in heaven. It does have to do, I mean, it does say, you know, when it talks about his will, you know, don't be getting drunk and don't be sleeping around and, you know, treat each other well, all that kind of stuff. I mean, it does address that. But it has more to do with what he's left you in Jesus. And see, if you understand that, if you live from the perspective of, I've got this father that before I was ever even born loved me. And now that he has adopted me into his family because I have received his name, I have received his seed. I've, he's given me who he is in Jesus, given, you know, given me sonship in Jesus. And you're not a son until Jesus is in you and then you become a child. Amen. You know, we're not mystically somehow all part of the Trinity until you receive the Spirit of God within you. That's kind of a weird teaching going around right now. But, but isn't that powerful if you think about it? You know, God wanted to leave us and give us everything that Jesus has inherited. So what has Jesus inherited? Everything. everything. Hebrews 1 says Jesus has inherited everything. Right now, the state of existence that Jesus is in, what has he inherited? Has he inherited healing? You know, because his body was pretty messed up on that cross. I mean, has he inherited provision? Has he inherited eternal life? Has he inherited the authority that God has, that God gave to Jesus because of his conquering of death, hell, and the grave? I think about that. What has Jesus inherited? And you are a joint heir with Jesus. See, healing, provision, righteousness, peace, and joy are not things that you have to wonder if God wants for you because he left them in the will. You don't have to wonder, is now the timing that God wants to provide for me, or is it sometime in the future? You know what? He has given you all things that pertain unto life and godliness. Amen. And as He is, so are, so are you in this world. That's your inheritance. God decided that ahead of time. God drafted this new covenant before you ever even were born to, to disqualify yourself out of it because of your own thinking. And you weren't in it until you received Christ. But that's how he sees you now. He's like, okay, now I'm going to seal you with the spirit of promise. It's like God was in heaven. And he said, all right, I got, a, I got an idea. I want a family. They'll never be able to make their way into this spiritual place of perfection that I exist in. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to create this world for them. Then I'm going to go into it and I'm going to die so that they can have everything that I have because I've enacted a will for them to have an inheritance. Amen. So that way they don't have to earn their way up to me. They don't have to perform their way. I can give it to them because I'm the one that's going to die for them. Amen. A will goes into effect once that person passes. And you can't, there's stuff in that will that you, you can't refuse it. I mean, trust me, I went, we went through this process. I wasn't not like I was trying to refuse anything. 
but it's very specific. The terminology and the, and the system that you go through, the, the legal system that's set up to receive this inheritance. You know, you, you, you show proof, okay? I am this person, so let's go through all the process, and now this is mine because I am the son. You are the son because Jesus is in you. You have the life because you have the son. Amen? Amen. So it's not about, God, I wonder if you want this for me. It's, did Jesus gain this in his inheritance, and am I a joint heir with Jesus? Now, how will that change your prayer? Maybe some of you don't know. Maybe some of you, it's like, oh, wait a minute, I don't, so I don't have to ask? Well, let, let's kind of go through some things here. In Matthew 6, again, this is not necessarily to teach you how to pray, but who you are as you pray. So Matthew 6, starting in 25, and I'm in the NIV. Just this first half scripture alone is worth meditating on for about eight hours a day, seven days a week. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. Amen. Man, what would some of you do if you didn't do that anymore? <laughs> I mean, honestly, think about it. Think about how much time you spend worrying. And what good is it doing? You're, what you're doing is meditating. And you are planting those seeds into this world of what you're worrying about. Just like you could be meditating on God's truth and planting those seeds and reaping that harvest. You're reaping a harvest one way or the other. Might as well make it based on God's truth. Now, this world's got stuff in it that, you know, I mean, this world produces stuff and there's not much you can do about it. But there's a higher way, there's a better way, and there's the promises of God that are yes for you. So Matthew 6, let's keep going here. <clears throat> Don't worry about your life, what you will eat, what you'll drink, or about your body, what you'll wear. Is life not more than food and the body more than clothes? Now watch what he does here in verse 26 and see if you can kind of pick out what he's saying. Verse 26, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? You see what he's doing? He's attaching his desire to provide for you to his value for you. God wants to provide for you because he values you. If he'll provide for birds, surely he'll provide for you. See, God's willingness to meet your need is not based on you getting the prayer right. It's based on his value for you. God has what he has for you because he loves you and wants you to experience. And what we're doing is disqualifying ourselves. We're like, God, look at my sin. He's like, move that out the way. I'm not holding that against you anymore. Let me see you. And we're holding on to this sin. We're holding on to what our mama said. We're holding on to this struggle. We're holding on to what the other people said about me. We're holding on to our limited mind of thinking that I've got to work really hard to have anything in life. And I'm not against working hard. That's not the point. But there's a different way. Amen. His value for you is his motivation to provide for you. But do you think you're valuable? 
He said, what's going on in your heart determines the degree that you will let him provide for you. What's going on in your heart will, deter will determine the degree that you will let him provide for you. Well, you just think that God's everyone, everything good. Well, he's a good God. Yes, he's given you all things that pertain unto life. He didn't say I've given you some now and some later. You know, in, in some wills, you can say, well, I want them to get this at 35, and I want them to get this at 45, because I'm not sure they're going to make good decisions, and I don't want them to blow it all. And you know, No, God's like, here, take it all. He's not portioning out your inheritance. He's not setting time releases on what you get from him. It's now. If Jesus paid for it, it's yours now. He's died. He's left it to you. Is it yours or not? Not so that you can drive a nice car, have a nice house, have a big ministry, have a big job, be an important person. Not, not, not that stuff. All of that stuff is just stuff that he does to bring glory to himself. You know, we think, oh, God, I need to experience your provision because I want to have a whatever, you know, I want to drive a nice car. And it's not about the car. He don't care about that. All right, let's keep going here. Where, where, where were we? Verse 26. Verse 27. And this is, I'm, I'll ask you this question. Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? We need to start a recovery group for worrying. I mean, think about it. It's the plague of the world. Worry. Well, I mean, I, I can't move on from this just yet, this worry thing. So we're going to camp here for a minute. Honestly, ask yourself, how much time do you spend worrying? Now, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God's not mad at you. It's just like, you know, how much time do you sit wondering if you're actually your father's child? How much time do you sit wondering if your parents really are your parents? <laughs> now, I mean, you know, some of you, are in <laughs> you know what I mean? All things being equal. Worry, 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 man. And worry takes so much of our hearts and our minds. And you, you got to picture this. As you are worrying, what you're doing is you're saying, God, hang on for a minute. I am going to take control here. And as I'm doing that, really what you're doing, it's like you're, you're, you're closing the faucet. It's like you're putting rubber bands around the stalk that's trying to grow. You're throwing more dirt on top of the seed, the promise that's already broken through the ground and trying to grow up and, and produce. Worry slows down the promise of God for manifesting. Worry puts you in your flesh and, and teaches your heart to depend on yourself and your own logic to figure things out rather than depending on Him. I mean, worry does a lot of things. You can say it many different ways, you know. It limits, it frustrates the grace of God. Amen. And that word frustrate doesn't mean God's up there pitching a fit going, oh, I wish they would just let me do something. You know, it's not like God's getting, not God, that's not what it's talking about. Frustration means that it, it limits, it constricts what it can do. 
Galatians 2.20, 2.21, when he says, you know, I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. And, and then he goes and he says, the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Galatians 2.21, I do not set aside, flip over to the King James if you would, please, sir. <clears throat> So Galatians 2.20, 2, 20, the one before this, I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of, faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So 21, I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. Man, when you worry... What you're doing is you're living in your own strength and you're frustrating the grace of God, constricting it, limiting it, and Christ, might not, Christ may as well not have even died for you. When you're worrying, it's like Christ didn't even die for you. That's how, I mean, I want us to take this seriously. I mean, I know I'm hitting it kind of heavy, but it's a big deal. When Jesus says, don't worry, Amen. Amen. <laughs> we've had, we have a choice. Now, you can become offended at that word, or you can open your heart and desire, I want this to produce in my life. I don't know why, I don't know how, I don't really even care all that stuff. All I know, your word is within me, and as I yield to you, as I yield to this righteousness that is within me, grace comes alive inside of me, empowers me, strengthens me, teaches me, teaches me to live holy, teaches me to be generous. Your Holy Spirit is, is leading and guiding me into all truth, the application of truth. But when we worry, when we flip over into this mode of wanting to do it in our own strength or feeling like we do, it's like you just put that whole process. You set aside the grace of God. Interesting terminology. I'm going to set aside your grace for a minute. I'm going to worry about it a little bit. Because I think I can do a better job, God. We rely on our own strength instead of Him. That's right. Now, it's a paradox because we're co-laborers. And Mark 4, Matthew 13 goes to the parable of the sower of the word. And eventually it gets to the part where it says, when you have remained faithful, and I don't mean in your obedience, I mean in your trust toward Him, and that thing bears fruit, your action is to put that sickle in and reap that harvest. Your faith is to take a step and experience that, the manifestation of that fruit. So it's not like you just sit there and do nothing. But you don't work for it either. But what are you believing in? What are you believing? What are you expecting? What is your hope in? See, a lot of people hear this type of stuff and they think, okay, God, well, if it's, all, if it's already all mine, then just give it to me. I should already have it. And I'm judging you because the fact that I don't already have it means you're withholding it from me because I don't understand all the Why are you making me perform? Why you, and, and it's like we get mad at God because we don't understand. No, just rest in Him. It's spiritual. We have to change our way of thinking. We're not cause and effect. We're seed time and harvest. All that stuff is in us in spiritual form. And as we trust and have patience, it will grow. And, and we can expect because... We're children because that's our inheritance. You have the right to expect provision to manifest because it's been left to you in your will, in Jesus, in your inheritance. Yeah. Amen? He wants, Amen. He wants us. He wants it. 
And you guys are going in the right direction. And, and a couple of people said the, said the same thing in the first service as that. And I think you taught on meditation a couple of months ago, but that, that's where this leads you. It's like, okay, if there's not anything that I can necessarily outwardly do to experience the inward kingdom, then it has to do with wh what am I seeing? What am I thinking? What am I meditating on? What am I allowing to take shape within my heart? Because whatever you allow to form itself up in your heart and mind will be established in this dimension, good or bad. To, to the legalistic person, to the, to the performance-oriented, progressive, holiness, dual-nature mindset, this sounds very arrogant. But get over it. All right. Verse 28. And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? I mean, do you think grass is more valuable to God than you? O ye of little faith. <laughs> I just love that one. But see, you have to realize faith is not this commodity that you have to get more of. Faith is our response. So what, what I'm trying to do is, is build faith up within you. I'm trying to get you to a place where you actually operate out of the faith that's in you. And what that is, is faith is a response. Yes, you have already done this. Yes, I am complete in you. Yes, you want this. Yes, this is who you are. Your name, Father, is provider, the healer, the comforter, the, the, the strong tower, our safety. I mean, that's who he wants to be. Every name that you see in the list of who God has revealed himself to be is your inheritance now. We got some, we got, see, if y'all don't see, y'all didn't say amen, so the, the phones are crying out over there. Matthew 6, 31. Again. So, do not worry over and over, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans, <laughs> now he's like, <laughs> all right. <laughs> For the pagans, after all these, uh, run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Amen. But seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. Where'd you put that kingdom, God? Let me... Maybe, maybe it, oh, I know, it's out there. I can't really see it. No, where, where's the kingdom? How do you seek the kingdom? How, how do you seek the kingdom? I mean, I don't have like one answer. I'm not trying to trick you and give you a fail if you give the wrong answer. But how do you seek the kingdom? Worship. This is, you know, worship. How do you seek the kingdom? For me, it's I, I love to think about what Jesus did. 
in his death, burial, and resurrection and what I am in light of that. You know, it's like the kingdom, whatever is true is what you set your mind on, you set your heart on. Whatever is lovely, pure, good report, set your mind on these things. That's seeking, seeking the kingdom. All this stuff ends up dovetailing together. One of these messages in this series, I'm going to talk specifically about meditation and writing on our hearts. <clears throat> But seeking the kingdom is not done through you getting better at being spiritual. You getting better at staying out of sin. Are you getting better at loving people? Are you getting better at performing miracles? That's not really seeking the kingdom. All of that stuff is a fruit of you experiencing the kingdom. You experience the kingdom in your heart. It's in you. It's, you know, it's like... This stuff is better understood in quantum terms. The scientists say that stuff that all matter exists in a state of superposition, meaning there are unlimited potentials of what could be out there. And those potentials are collapsed into things and realities and situations in our lives as we make choices and observations on this world. Now, I'm, I'm, you know, I don't, I don't know all I've I've read on about that, but there is unlimited potential in the kingdom realm. It's not locational in that you've got to go out there to get it or try to figure out how to be spiritual enough to go into that kingdom realm. You know, I mean, you've probably heard people have had visions. It's like they went into the throne of God and off to the side. He's got a little room over there, and that's where he keeps the extra body parts. And if you go over there, you can bring a leg back and give it to somebody. You know, it's like... I get that as metaphor, as poetry, you know, as, as prophetic visualization. But, man, the kingdom is in you in fullness. Everything God has is in unlimited, undefined form within you. And as you make a choice, it is collapsed and you, it begins to grow physically into your life. It, it's unlimited in its spiritual place of existence in you. And then as you make a choice it starts to grow. It starts to take form and manifest. Anybody read quantum physics stuff? You know, I don't really understand all of it, but there's some of it we can understand. So interestingly, in the Hebrew, one of the definitions of the word prayer is to judge or decide. Pray, prayer, it, it is ask, request, it is all of those things, but in Hebrew, the terminology, one of the definitions is make a decision. Confidently, boldly, make a decision toward God based on who you are and the inheritance that He's given you and confidently expect that. Now, I'm going to read a few passages here and you're going to have a choice. It's nothing new, not necessarily teaching you new information here. Just going to read a few things that Jesus said. But there's statements, man, that if we take him at his word, it's potentially offensive. It's like, really, Jesus? Because I think I would rather add this onto it and add this onto it and add this onto it and start a new denomination and we explain really why God does and doesn't do the things that Jesus was trying. See, Jesus really didn't know what he's talking about. <laughs> he was trying to say a few things, but poor old Jesus, you know, he just was too old, lived 2,000 years ago, didn't really have the terminology that we have. He just didn't get it. I mean, that, 
That's like that's what we think sometimes. That's what it feels like we're doing with the word. So the potential is to get offended at the word, and then that seed is stolen out of your heart. Mark 4, Matthew 13, he goes through that principle. He says, the sower sows the word. God and you sow the word in your heart. Some people become offended at the word, and it gets stolen out of their hearts. The way that you become offended at the word is you've prayed, and it didn't happen, and you blame God. Some of us are carrying offense toward God that we need to lay down. Some of us have tried to believe and we didn't see it and it's like, okay, I don't get it. I'm just going to put that aside and I'm just going to be, I'm going to settle for this. I'm going to settle for God. I know that you love me. I know that I'm accepted, but experiencing all that inheritance stuff, I don't know, I've tried that. It doesn't work. I'm just going to leave that to the side. Haven't we? Haven't, I've done that. Have you done that? So let's look at these words and what, you know, it's like, let's just forget our pasts. Just forget your past. Act like this is the first time you've ever read this. And, and let's bring our expectations. Let's bring our hearts. Let's bring our minds, our faith up to the level of what Jesus is actually saying here. What we could do is bring what Jesus is saying down to our level and experience. Or we could bring our expectation up to what he's actually really saying. Mark 11, verse 24. Therefore I say to you, whatsoever things you desire, when you pray, believe. Now believe means think to be true or have confidence. Believe is not, again, like this faith commodity that you have to get more of. Believe means think to be true. So when you pray, think to be true, that you receive them, and you shall have them. Think to be true confidently toward God what you desire that you're asking from Him, and it shall be given to you. What's that? Is that applied to intercession? Is that applied to inter You mean for other people? Yeah. Uh, I don't think so. He's talking specifically directly to people. So we're talking about us between us and God at the moment. I am going to go into talking about praying for other people. But, you know, I'm kind of interceding right now because what I'm trying to do is get, get the level of faith and expectation up to where you'll connect with God, you know. I, now, I think, yeah, I mean, I, I, could, I could perform a miracle on you and I might temporarily override the condition of your heart and you might get healed and then a week from now the healing's gone because it was from an external thing that happened to you rather than birth between you and God. How many of you have prayed for people, other people, they got healed, and then they, they weren't healed at a period of time later? And again, I'm not trying to go in. I'm not, I don't want to bring this stuff down to the carnal level and label this so that we walk out with a nice little package of why some get healed and some don't. I don't really care about all that stuff. Our minds should be on heaven. What's it like there? Not out there, but what has God left us? Remember the inheritance thing, you know? What does God want you to experience? God went through great lengths to define in His will what He would leave you in Jesus. 
That's where we are. Very intentional process. So then these are like invitations into you experiencing his will, into experiencing this inheritance that he's left you. So I kind of redefined prayer down to this based on some of the, uh, the words that I looked up. Uh, in Greek, prayer is from two uh, root words. One is typical pray, and then the other one is a directional thing. It's toward. It's to, to set your face toward or, you know, in, in direction of something. So we are to pray toward God. And think about that. Sometimes we don't pray toward God. You know, our heart is not toward Him. We're praying and our heart's really toward the, the situation. <clears throat> We're praying and thinking about God, but our heart's really toward the lack. So <clears throat> the Hebrew definition of prayer is to think, meditate, or decide. So prayer is to make a decision in confidence toward God. Make a decision in confidence toward God. Knowing who you are, you know, you start from a place of knowing who you are, knowing your inheritance, knowing what he wants for you, knowing what he's left you in Jesus, and then you make a confident decision toward God. Now, we're willing to be open to possibly maybe making a decision, but how confident is that? I mean, I, you know, I'm tired of not, I'm tired of the body of Christ, like, Tracy said last week, I'm tired of people not experiencing the, what God died to give us. <clears throat> there are people in this body that need radical healing right now. And it is yours in the name of Jesus and you can have it. Amen. And that's it. I'm not putting butts, whys, and thens, and outs, and doubts, and you know. That's, what more? All right, John 14 13. Again, these are invitations. You've got a choice. Are you going to be offended at the word? Or are you going to bring your mind and heart up to what Jesus is saying? John 14, 13. And whatsoever you ask in my name. Now, this terminology is important because asking in his name is knowing that you are in the family. Asking in his name. See, the name, it's like, I'll just use the surface family. You know, maybe they've got a reputation in the community. And it's like, yeah, that, that surface family, this and whatever, that Crane family, it means something. People that know them, it means something, you know. There, there's, there's, there's authority attached with that. There's reputation attached with that. There's experiences from other people attached to that. That's, how, that's what he's talking about here. When we pray in his name, he may as well be saying, when you pray in your authority, when you pray in your sonship, when you pray knowing what Jesus has done for you, when you pray knowing that you are seated in Christ, next to the Father, in heaven. All of that terminology is wrapped up in pray in His name, pray in His authority, pray in the character of, what, of who He is, knowing who you are. And whatsoever you ask in my name, because He's given you His name, that I will do. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. That's big. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. See, when you pray and you ask God to manifest into your life 
those things that were promised to you in Jesus and you begin to experience those things, the Son is glorified through you and the Father is glorified in that. The reason we want to experience miracles and healing and provision and righteousness, peace and joy is not necessarily even of our own benefit, but so that we're out of putting our positions at a place to bring glory to God. You get healed, God gets glorified. You, you, you experience provision, God gets glorified. Amen. And whatever's birthed of the Spirit, He gets glory, whether it be a hug, baking someone some cookies down the road, whether it be taking care of somebody's child while they're sick, you know, whether it be whatever it is, anything that's inspired and birthed of the Spirit is just as spiritual as anything else. Amen. So, <clears throat> John 15, 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain that whatsoever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. John 16, 23. And in that day you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly, I say to you, whatsoever, whatever you ask the Father in my name. Okay, now it's like, wait a minute. You're not going to ask me for anything, but in that day that you do ask me, What's he saying here? <clears throat> He's talking. So then he says, until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. Whose joy? That your joy may be full. That's why he wants you to receive. So the asking is not just asking in general. It's asking in his name. He makes the distinction. You're not going to ask me for anything. You're going to ask me in my name. There's a difference. When you ask in my name, you know it's already yours. So that your joy may be full. Now, have you ever heard it taught that you can only pray for things, that God is going to meet your basic needs? It's like God will meet your needs, and it's okay to legally pray for your needs. But that healing or that provision or that big desire that's in your heart to pray for that, no, you can't, you can't legally pray for that. You ever heard that? You ever been taught that? Like it's selfish to pray for the desires of your heart. I mean, he says over and over and over and over and over. Whatever you ask, whatever you desire, not, you know, not out of selfishness, but it's not just limited to food and clothing and shelter. If Jesus paid for it, it's yours. And better yet, if it's Jesus's now, it's yours now. Are you a joint heir? So, are you going to settle? Are you offended? Are you going to trust God? Amen. And be patient. I can hear it. Yeah, but what about? Yeah, but this. What about this? What the, okay. Now, that's where we go. Well, but yeah, this, this is what but my... But, but, don't we? I can, I, can, I can hear it. I can tell you what you're saying right now. But faith doesn't go there. Because that, the what about doesn't exist in heaven. The buts are out of the way. I mean, what if, what if you got the answer of what about or but? Or why? What does it matter? Does it do you any good? No. Because the truth remains. Beyond the explanation, 
What does it matter if you get a really good excuse of why this one gets healed and that one doesn't? But we're information mongers. We think if we figure it out logically, then we can get it to work. Amen. It's not the case. Faith is better than understanding. Amen. Faith is a confident decision toward God. Father, we thank you so much for giving us your name. We thank you for creating this plan of salvation. We thank you for creating a will for us to have an inheritance in Jesus. And I want Jesus to experience his full inheritance. And that is you glorifying yourself through me. So I yield to you. I thank you for this righteousness. I thank you for this holiness that you've given me. All these promises the, the fullness of the kingdom you've placed within me. I don't want to limit that. I don't want to frustrate that. I don't want to become offended at these incredible statements that you've made, Jesus. I want to trust you. I, I, want, I want to raise my heart and mind up to the level of your thinking, not bring you down to me. I don't want to limit. I don't want to limit your word, God. I want to make confident decisions towards you based on the promises that you've made me because I am in your family to the glory of God. Amen.